morning, Acts chapter 10. If I were to ask you this question this morning, how did Jesus live His life of doing the Father's will? How did Jesus resist temptation? How did He carry out the will of the Father? Um, what would you say? For many of us, the answer that we've been taught incorrectly is that Jesus was fully God, right? And uh, because Jesus was fully God and He had all power available to Him as God, He was able to carry out all that the Father required of Him. And you would be telling the truth, but it wouldn't be the whole truth. It would be part of the truth. Um, and in short, many of, many of the times our answer would be Jesus was perfectly obedient to the will of His Father and righteous because He was perfectly God. And, and that's part of it. That's part of it. But, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, to follow in his steps, to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. So, if Jesus was perfectly obedient because he was perfectly God, then how can we, his followers, be called to live like him, to follow in his steps, as Peter commands us to do, because we have no divine nature to live out of in the sense that Jesus did, and we're partakers of divine nature. And would it be then legitimate for the Bible to command us to live as Jesus did? To have the mind that's in Christ Jesus if everything he did was carried out from his very divine nature. You follow me? In Acts chapter 10, and verse 38, Peter has been sent to the house of Cornelius and he gives the gospel. He introduces Christ to these Gentiles. And he says something very interesting in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Speaking about Jesus, he says, After the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I believe if you study the Gospels, that the day-to-day obedience and the ministry of Jesus, the New Testament, puts stress, greater stress, of Him operating on that, out of His humanity, a Spirit-filled humanity. Jesus was fully God, and Jesus possessed the fullness of the full divine nature of God. Everything that God is, Jesus was. The perfections of God. But throughout His incarnate life on earth, The Spirit of God rested on his life as a human being, as a man. In other words, although he came as one who was both fully God and fully man, he lived his life as one indwelt with and empowered by the Spirit of God. You might ask, well, what in the world could the Spirit of God contribute to the humanity of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that is actually simpler than you might think. Everything of supernatural power and enabling that Jesus and his human nature would lack, the Holy Spirit would provide. And the fact that Jesus came in the power of the Spirit is to understand that Jesus lived as God, though he operated as man, and such he relied on the Spirit to provide the power, the grace, the knowledge, the wisdom, the direction, the enablement he needed moment by moment and day by day to fulfill the mission that his Father had sent him to accomplish. You can see this in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. 
Uh, but we're not going to go there today. Instead, I want us this morning to look into the book of Luke. And I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 3, please. Luke chapter 3. <clears throat> I'd like to look at five scenes in the book of Luke. Five scenes in the book of Luke of how this truth of Jesus dependent on the Spirit of God in prayer worked. Now, it's our prayer that God's advance through His Word be done in and through us. And the Bible is full of all kinds of examples of God's people, Israel in the Old Testament and His church in the New Testament, of God's people uh, gathering together uh, before Him in prayer for God to work. And history... Outside of the Bible, church history is full of stories of the corporate prayer action of God's people that came either before God did a great work, that came during God's work that sustained it, or that followed a special work of God. And I want us to see this morning, from Luke chapter 4, from the very example of our own Lord Jesus Christ, that the advance of the kingdom of Christ occurs through His Word, which occurs, the advance of the Word of God occurs through the prayers of His people, through His grace. Five scenes, we're going to look at Luke 3 at Jesus' baptism, Luke 6 at Jesus calling his disciples, Luke 9 where Jesus is identified, uh, he revealed to his disciples uh, as Messiah, Luke 9 where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration in his glory, and Luke uh, 22 through 24 there near the end where Jesus finishes his work. And I want us to see in Luke chapter 3 this morning, because Jesus earnestly prayed, The Spirit enabled him to be filled for his ministry. The Spirit filled his ministry. He filled his ministry. Look with me in Luke 3, verse 21. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and this is John the Baptist, uh, baptism, a baptism of repentance, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized, and what? You might want to underline that. And praying. Jesus being baptized and praying, the heaven was open. Prayer is, someone has said, our our kiss to heaven. And God's awakening, His work, His revival, is when heaven kisses earth. Notice it says the heaven was open. And the Holy Ghost descending in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him. And a voice from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see what followed Jesus' prayer here. And Jesus' baptism is, is, the, is the time where Jesus then began to fulfill His ministry. You see, Jesus, those first 30 years, lived in obscurity. He didn't have a, a ministry like He does those last three years, does He? He didn't go about teaching people. He didn't go about doing his work of miracles uh, those first 30 years. It was those last three years. And it happens when the Spirit of God comes upon him and fills him for ministry and empowers him for ministry. But when does that happen? That happens while he's praying. 
He's baptized. And the Spirit of God comes upon him. You can look with me in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And see that immediately following this, the Spirit comes upon him, that that is when he launches uh, into his ministry. And then the temptation where he's tested, where his, the Spirit uh, tests him. But Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15 after the Spirit drives him in the wilderness and he's tested, he, he, he obeys, he uh, denies temptation. In Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. This happens after his anointing. Remember Luke in Acts 10 that we just saw in Acts 10.38 says that Jesus uh, was one who was anointed with the Holy Spirit with power and did good things. Because Jesus prayed, earnestly prayed, He was filled in His ministry. He was tempted. He had a power now in the Word uh, uh, that that was on on another level, so to speak. Uh, There is a a pushing forward, the advancing of the Word of God. There is an empowering because Jesus earnestly prayed. That's scene one. Scene two, go over a couple passages to Acts chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And I want you to see, because Jesus earnestly prayed, the Spirit enabled him to form his men. He formed his men. Luke 6, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. And here's a powerful word. Continued all night in prayer to God. Literally, the original language, the scholars say, is it says that he continued all night in the prayers to the God. The prayers to the God. The result was, the next day in verse 13, it says, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Simon whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was also the traitor, and he came down with them. You see what happened here? Jesus spends the night in that mountain to pray, continues all night in prayer, and the next day, God works. God works. Jesus understood it. He was to transfer the power that he'd been given in his ministry. And he was to see it multiplied in the lives of simple, ordinary men. He needed to spend that night in prayer. And what you're seeing here in seed form, like the acorn, compared to the book of Acts, the oak tree of the church, in seed form, the acorn, the pre-church, is being formed. Notice that Luke points out that these were those he named apostles. Apostles. And in Jesus' prayer, the prayer of God, the prayer to God, uh, God, uh, through, his, through Jesus' prayer, um, selects these men. Well, Jesus could say in John 15, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit. 
And for Christ to be multiplied throughout the nations, which was the plan of God, was it not? From Genesis chapter 12, all the nations shall be blessed. He must be multiplied in individuals. And these individuals were raw. You think about all the human ingredients here with these men. They were raw. They were raised under Moses' law. That is what they operated from, right? Uh, They were opposed to Gentiles, particularly the Romans who were ruling over them in oppression. And Simon the Zealot, Zelotes, would probably have been someone who may have been forming his own patriotic militia to take out the oppressing uh, empire of Romans. They were obviously, as you read the gospel, very prone to self-advancement. They had diverse opinions. There's somebody who worked for the Roman government as a tax collector, and somebody who wanted to overthrow the the Roman government. Simon, right? These were local boys who had probably never been out of their country. Very, uh, probably their biggest travel would be their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the feasts. They were unequipped, and they had to be poured into, which is why in verse 17 it says, And he came down with them to turn them into what he says later on, the foundation of the church. These guys. You know the story, if you're familiar with the Gospels, who these guys were. They become, in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, the first leaders. Uh, they become the ones who receive divine truth in Ephesians 3, 5. Uh, Luke says in Acts 2, 42, that the church continued in the apostles' doctrine. These guys? Uh, they were examples of Christ's life in Ephesians 3, 5. They had miracle powers to confirm the authentic message of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 12, 11 and 12. And Luke 18, 23 says they were greatly blessed. We know what they became, don't we, in the book of Acts and the epistles. But Jesus knew who they were. And Jesus spends a night in prayer. It's through his prayer that he forms these men in those three years. Through failures, through denials, through one becoming a total traitor. He builds his church. Do you see the connection there? Jesus' baptism. As he's praying, the Spirit comes upon him to fill him for ministry. It's out of his prayer, out of his yielding, out of his his pursuing of God, out of his filling with the Spirit, through his prayers, that he launches his ministry. The next stage realizing that he needs to invest in men who are going to continue this on because he's going to be the crucified Savior. He's going to be the risen Savior. He's going to be the ascended Savior who will lead them. He invests in these men, but he knows he must invest in prayer in these men. And God uses his prayers. Because of his prayer, the Spirit fills his ministry, forms his men. And thirdly, I'd like you to go over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Verse 18. Luke 9 and verse 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. The Christ of God. The Messiah. 
You are the Messiah, Jesus. And in the parallel passage of this, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew adds some details to this story that um, Luke has chosen not to include. In Matthew chapter 16, do you see a pattern here? Jesus prays and God reveals himself in a deeper way. God reveals himself in a deeper way. Not contrary to his word, but in fulfillment of his word. And in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 16, you have the same story. Uh, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In response to his question, Who do you say that I am? And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus understands that his goal here is to receive, as we sang this morning in the song, O Church Arise, an inheritance of souls, an inheritance of nations. And it would be through the church, it would be through his commission given to the church to go and make disciples. He would receive an inheritance of souls who he delights to call his brothers and sisters. And he knows that for his church to go forward to the storming of the gates of hell that he says, describes here in Matthew 16. By making disciples, they would need to know two things. They would need to know that all power and authority was given to him. Which is what he says at the end of Matthew, is it not, as he sends them out. All power and authority is given to him. You're going to storm the gates of hell? That is dark That is dark warfare, isn't it? All power and authority, though, is given to me over all of that, even the wicked, angelic realm. And secondly, he would be with them all, always. All power and authority, he would be with them always. And so he, is, he, uh, he had prayed that, 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 that day, and as he was praying, the disciple, he asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? And God opens Peter's eyes and says, You're the Christ. You're the one who has power and authority. You're the one who will go with us. And Jesus says, Yes, I'll go with you. And you're going to be on the offensive against the presence of darkness. He's the promised one who would be the basis for pushing back the darkness. Colossians says he has uh, uh, principalities and powers under his authority. That spirit world is under his authority. And so thirdly here, it is through his prayer as he's praying and then he asks his disciples, who am I? That God opens Peter's eyes. Peter falls in between. You know that. Peter denies Christ. But look at Peter in the book of Acts. And it seems Peter is standing on those truths. He's a bold man. And so, thirdly here, Jesus founded his movement. The movement of God, the advance through his prayer. Don't skip over that again in Luke 9, verse 18. And it came to pass as he was alone praying. And his disciples are with him and he asked them. Fourth scene. Just a couple verses down. Luke 9, verse 20, 28. Luke 9, verse 28. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to 
pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, the law and the prophets, representatives, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as he departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days of any of those things which they had seen. As Jesus is praying here, these disciples are clueless. They're taking a nap. And as Jesus is praying, the veil of his humanity was pushed back to reveal the radiant glory of his perfection. And it shines in all that the law and the prophets spoke of, uh, all that Moses spoke of, and Elijah, representative of the prophets, spoke of here, uh, was revealed in a fresh way to James and John and Peter. This is the Christ. The spotlight of God the Father is on him. He is the chosen one who they must listen to and obey and who they will be with in eternity, but who in the meantime must obey and finish the task that he will leave them with. You say, well, they didn't get it, did they? Not then. But go with me to the end of Peter's life, to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. Peter is an old man at this time. In fact, he says, it's time for me to go probably here pretty soon. My life is going to be ended. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, this scene was burned into Peter's mind. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now listen. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. The idea there is a, 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 uh, the, the voice of God, the word of God. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What's happening here? Peter knows the end of his life in Second Peter 1 verse 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 21. If the church is to be established, it must observe and obey all the things Christ commanded. And to do that, they needed to know the scriptures. And they needed to know the scriptures was the very words of God. And it was as just as much the voice of God as that day when they were on the mountain and heard the very authoritative word of God the Father say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. 
You know what Peter here is understanding? Well, when Jesus prayed, God revealed Himself in a greater way. Jesus flashed His glory. He flashed His glory. His majesty. And the church needed to understand that in order to stand where they needed to be in the end days and to stand firm. They needed to stand on the Word of God. And they were able to because God revealed His glory, His glory in His Son as Jesus was praying. Final scene, Luke 22. Luke 22. Fifthly and finally, because of Jesus' prayer, He finished the mission. He finished the mission. We know the story here, Luke 22, verses 39 to 46. Jesus is praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says in verse 40, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he prays in verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As a result, God sends an angel from heaven who strengthens him to do the will of God, to finish the mission. And being in an earnest agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And said to them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. You know, he's praying that night. Of all the things he could have been doing, he was praying before the day came when he would fulfill his mission. Go with me to chapter 23 and verse 34. Even on the cross, Jesus is praying. Verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Verse 46, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. It's through prayer that Jesus is able to, to fulfill and finish the mission. To do the task that no other human could do. To take all the vile evil that has ever been cast against the glory of God in the past, and now, and in the future, upon the beauty of God's holiness, to bear it, to be forsaken by the Father, to die with His Father's anger upon Him. And to believe it would be accepted and he would come to life again required prayer. Required prayer to his father. The darkest day in human history demanded the deepest praying. When that sun came up, that crucifixion day, he could bear the shame. He could endure the mocking, the beatings, the lies, the hatred, the denials, the exposure on the cross, the abandonment by His Father because He had prayed to finish the mission. Do you see here in Jesus' life just these little five snapshots, the connection between the prayer and the advance of God's work? Jesus' life was wrapped in prayer. Every miracle, the temptation... His teaching, His evangelizing, His discipling, and His dying was sealed in fresh packets of His breath to His Father. For the advance of the glory of God 
and his bride, the church. And folks, if we are to hear him say, well done, we will be a disciple of prayer. If we are to hear him say, well done, we will be a disciple of prayer. What you are on your knees in your prayer life, regardless of anything else, is the measure of your life as a believer. We will not dare to take a step if we are disciples of Jesus Christ without being a people to prayer. We will not be a people who move forward without praying for His power. Without prayer, a disciple of Christ is like an empty rifle. You can pull that trigger all you want. Nothing's going to happen. You can point it at anyone. Nothing's going to happen. But with prayer, it's like a fully loaded rifle ready to work against the darkness of the enemy for the glory of God where He desires to point the gun and pull the trigger. You see, Christ was filled for ministry through prayer. He formed His men through prayer. He founded His movement through prayer. He flashed the majesty of His glory to His disciples through prayer. He finished His mission through prayer. And if you think He's done, He's not. He's still praying. And the Bible says He is interceding for you and I to His Father on our behalf. If there is ever a man about who could be said, like James says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man produces much, it's our Lord. And if he understood and needed and practiced prayer to see his work advance, his lordship advance, his grace and saving advance, how much more should we who are called to follow in his steps. We can look in the early church in the book of Acts and see that they understood that and put it to practice. And we will here in a few weeks. But how about us? We talked last week about the crisis and seeing the presence of the darkness and the reality of it and the uh, pushing back of that God desires to do through His people as they gather in prayer and and, and depend on His power to, to act. We have little souls being born in our church here. Children, we have neighbors. We have co-workers who are in the hands of the evil one who need to be snatched from the fire. We have hearts that need to be burning and united with Christ. We have a coldness and apathy. has to start on our knees has to start on our knees. And if it started with the Lord Jesus on our knees as the perfect sinless one, how much more for us who fall so short of His glory? We challenge you, and I challenged the folks last Sunday evening to spend three minutes, morning and evening, 
And if you could remember this time, 7.14, 7.14. Because Second Chronicles 7.14 tells God's people to get on their knees and pray. 7.14 in the morning, 7.14 at night, or whatever is going to work for your schedule. I realize different people have different things going on. Spend three minutes, three minutes, more perhaps, but start with three minutes asking the Lord to work in your heart to clear your soul of anything between you and the Lord, of anything between you and your brother and sister. And to press forward in prayer and ask Him to work in a great way. In you and our church in this area.